Good evening. Happy New Year. The dawn of a new year, an extremely consequential Senate runoff uh, in which there was a, also in the backdrop a phone call between President Donald Trump and the Secretary of State of Georgia, uh, Raffensperger, in which Trump pressured Raffensperger to overturn uh, the election results that took place in, in Georgia. First time in 30 years since a Democrat won the state of Georgia. And he specifically asked him to find 11,780 votes. In addition to that, there's infighting within the GOP, it seems. And we've seen that all of the enabling that Trump has experienced or enjoyed for the past four years has uh, resulted in the most ugly uh, demonstration uh, we've ever experienced in the nation's capital um, since 1814. Uh, and this was homegrown ter uh, domestic terrorism. I'm so excited to have the episode, I mean, the, the, the panel I have for this episode, episode 24 of the Political Mike podcast. Uh, without further ado, or do, I'm going to introduce this very, um, very insightful um, and very dynamic podcast right now. So again, uh, Cassandra Knopf, no stranger to the Political Mike, uh, is, a, is a 3L at Howard University School of Law. She's passionate about politics and justice. Uh, she has been from a young age. She began engaging in the civil process uh, by writing to the president to protest the Iraq invasion at the age of eight. Recently, uh, this translated into a passion for human and civil rights law, and specifically environmental justice. Cassandra has interned with Representative Cerise David's office on Capitol Hill and currently works uh, as an environmental nonprofit for an environmental nonprofit based in Maryland. Uh, she secured a fall position. She's, she actually worked this past fall with the Environmental Protection Agency. Uh, she's excited to bring her energy to the legal profession. So Cassandra, thank you so much for being back on the political mic. Uh, for the first time I've had, I have the privilege of having uh, Ms. Blake Bibbs as a guest. Uh, Blake is a get, as a graduate student and young professional who is a native of Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, Blake's involvement with politics began at the age of 11 when advocating for the Affordable Care Act. After that, she served in leadership roles for the North Carolina Association of Teen Democrats, College Democrats of North Carolina, and College Democrats of America. In addition to being a part of these organizations, Blake has also worked with several North Carolina campaigns and worked as a political intern for the Democratic National Committee. She was recently hired as a scheduler and executive assistant for a congressional member. And uh, before this, she worked as a congressional app challenge um, as the congressional operations coordinator. Um, she's also uh, a former spring 2018 initiate uh, into the mu uh, Omicron, Omicron chapter of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. So Blake, so excited to have you on. And I will add, Blake was actually um, in lockdown in the Capitol Dome last night. I was following her Instagram stories and she actually uh, was able to return uh, to her apartment um, late in the evening, but sh she was in the thick of the action uh, of what happened last night. So Professor Foster, glad to have you back on. Uh, Professor Foster is the founding president and CEO of WhatTheyShouldSay.org, Incorporated. Mr. Foster is the assistant professor and program director of public policy at Oakwood University in Huntsville, Alabama. And he is also a regular panelist on WJOU's monthly issues and policy radio program. Uh, professor Foster is the former chief marketing officer for educational testing services, interactive marketing division, and also served executive director as direct as executive director of Communications and Public Affairs at ETS in Princeton, New Jersey. Uh, he holds a Master's of Public Administration degree from the Kennedy School uh, at Harvard University and also completed uh, executive studies at the Wharton School of Business. He holds a BS in Business Administration from Oakwood University. Professor Foster, thank you so much for being back. Um, I know you're a very busy man and I'm very grateful to have you back on. Um, next, Mr. Egu uh, Nwangpa. Uh, Mr. Nwangpa is currently a vice president at one of the largest financial service, services institutions in the world. He is part of the supplier diversity and responsible sourcing team where he serves as a supplier diversity manager, specifically for the local markets and partnerships. In his position, Egu serves as an, as an advocate for small and diverse businesses, a liaison to key partner organizations, a project manager, a project manager for strategic initiatives and a manager and analyst of related supplier diversity spend data. He also serves as a former advisor for the Nuangpa family business, Teguza Solutions, which is a digital media events, marketing and advertising firm located in the greater New York City area. Um, he is heavily involved in, in the diversity and inclusion space and is frequently called on for public speaking opportunities. Egu also holds various advisory board positions at nonprofits in the New York area. Um, in his spare time, he, he he's very involved in local and national civic activities, church activities, cheering for various sports teams, 
and most importantly, spending quality time with his beautiful wife and three daughters. Mr. Nwangpa, thank you so much for being back. And finally, uh, Professor Fred Cook, uh, another favorite professor of mine, uh, was born and raised in the District of Columbia. Uh, he attended district, the District of Columbia Public Schools and graduated from McKinley Technical High School in 1965. Uh, after high school, he enrolled in Howard University and graduated in 1969 with a degree in psychology and a commission as a second lieutenant in the United States Air Force. Um, in 1977, he returned to the district and began a law practice with a large corporate law firm specializing in telecommunications, higher education, entertainment, and corporate law. He became a partner in that law firm in 1982. In 1987, he was appointed by uh, Mayor Marion Barry to serve as the corporate counsel for the District of Columbia, now called the Attorney General for the District of Columbia, where he was the head of the law office for about 250 lawyers with and an equal number of support staff. In 1990, he left the government service and returned to the private pra uh, practice of law. He has been an adjunct professor of um, Howard University School of Law since 1992. He's one of the founding members of the Black Entertainment and Sports Lawyers Association, a member of the Washington Bar Association Hall of Fame, and a Washingtonian Magazine Top Lawyer Awardee. He also serves on several boards of non-for-profit organizations, and he's a member of the Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated. Um, ladies and gentlemen, so much has happened um, since yesterday, but as I always tell the panelists before we go on live, uh, we never know what will transpire uh, between the times in which the political mic is live. And, and yesterday we saw something that was unprecedented. Uh, we saw, I was actually on the phone with a friend of mine, we were discussing the Senate election results. And all of a sudden I said, oh my goodness, because I heard uh, Pence's name being you know, called by the political analysts. And all of a sudden I see the secret service rush him out. Um, it was clear that something bad was going on. But even though we're seeing this bipartisan outcry uh, uh, and, and denunciation of what happened, um, and I've seen a lot of Republican um, folks on their social media pages say, this is not what I voted for. Um, this is not uh, what I support. And so now they're taking a stand, but 13 days away, um, is this uh, you know, sudden, I guess, moment of, of, of truth for these folks, um, is it lessened by the fact that there's nothing really to lose at this point? Uh, being that Trump, whether he likes it or not, no matter how much um, tantrum, ten, uh, temper tantrums he throws, uh, Joe Biden is certified officially now after last night as the 46th president of the United States, according to the electoral vote count. Um, does this sudden change of tune um, have any kind of benefit for the Republicans going forward? I want to open up the floor. Um. I don't want to speak first because there's so many more qualified folks here, but um, to me, it seems very disingenuine. Um, to me, it seems like they're jumping ship at the last moment rather than any kind of true come to Jesus moment. Um, and, and I don't think that most people are uh, fooled by it, especially um, since even after this horrible incident, we had over 120 House representatives and I think it was six senators who still tried to contest the electoral vote, even though they know for a fact, they know that the election was fair. They know that there was nothing wrong with the way that the counts were done because it's been litigated, it's been brought to court, it's been tossed out of court. And those are the places where these controversies are supposed to be held, not on the floor of the House or the Senate. So it's all posturing, it's all theater. And I, I think that the fact that we saw some people suddenly realized that they were playing games where it wasn't a game and they you know suddenly realized that they had to take this seriously i have no empathy um it's very little and it's very late but i mean it seems like they are trying to appear reasonable in order to save face and i don't think that's going to work for them and i i would agree just piggybacking up what you said i it is too little too late i know um, yesterday when I was at work, everybody was like, oh, the the first lady's chief of staff had 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 resigned. And they were like, oh, my gosh, this is a big thing. Um, but I also feel like, too, they realize at this point, um, you know, it is a sinking ship that's going down. And I think after seeing all the, the events that transpired yesterday, some of them may even realize, OK, we let this go too far. But at the end of the day, they also knew what they were what, what they were leading up to, that the signs were clear Um and it was well aware. And I feel as though, you know, the fact that um, 
you know, they really and truly allowed the events yesterday that happened to happen. And it was due to a lack of preparation and also, you know, just calling it as it is, it is, uh, it was racism. You know, they feel as though, you know, these, these are white people coming in. It may not be a big deal, but when they even got wind of the Black Lives Matter protests, there were tanks down the street and, and everything. And as someone who was even pepper sprayed and, and maced then, and also had to experience the events yesterday in the Capitol, um, I can just say that I, I, I felt it, I just felt very, that it was very disheartening and it was very, um, I was appalled by how things were handled. And a name that has been, propelled into the national uh, limelight is Josh Hawley, Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri, uh, propelled himself into prominence because uh, he was the first senator, um, I think out of what became 11 or 12 of them, um, to decide that they're going to obstruct to the electoral vote count. Now, this is a ceremonial process. Um, remember, during the December, during the month of December, the Electoral College already certified this, this count. This count. Uh, we knew that was going to happen because you know, you don't have the electoral uh, electors breaking from the will of the uh, voters of their respected their respective states, and you know the, the the notion that Pence was the last line of defense to stop this um, threw Pence under the bus. And so my my thoughts are that the 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 base that was supposed to be Pence's inheritance from Trump, you know, the the whole reason why he aligned himself, uh, an evangelical from Indiana, um, governor. Um, remember, he was a very popular governor among the GOP um, and especially among uh, potential candidates for president in 2016, even though he didn't run. Um, now it seems as if Josh Hawley and, and Ted Cruz are now the uh, the rightful heirs or, or at least competing for that faction of the Republican Party. Uh, Professor Foster, I wanted to get your thoughts on this because, um, you know, so much has gone on and in, in, in in terms of just the infighting of the GOP, even before the chaos, the chaos that transpired this week, you saw, remember the big story before this was Trump's phone call with Raffensperger. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Does Josh Hawley face any political retribution as a result of this? Does this propel him um, even further along in his career as it did Trump? Well, if you recall in 2016, <laughs> Donald Trump was running in a field that was filled with, I think over a dozen candidates when the campaign started. And basically, my, Donald Trump won, won the nomination the day he announced by saying that there were Mexicans, there were rapists, murderers, and some he heard were good people. Uh, the way you win the nomination in this Republican Party is by proving that you are the furthest to the right, that you are insensitive, insensitive to race, that you are hostile towards immigration, et cetera. I think the reason why the uh, confirmation of the electoral vote has been extended or was extended is because Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz are basically running to be the president of the insurrection. They're trying to replace Donald Trump on the extreme right. And uh, politically, um, you can't say that it's, it's a bad move. It's morally a horrific move. It's a horrific move in terms of being an American, but Donald Trump has a base of about 40% that will not move no matter what. And so they're trying to begin their campaign by inheriting that base and proving that they are the last ones to abandon Donald Trump um, in his, uh, and what, in what they know is a uh, failed quest to hang on to the presidency. So that's basically what the, the catalyst that um, drew us to yesterday. Um, everybody on the right overplayed their hand. Um, when you see Lindsey Graham and Elaine Chow uh, speaking righteousness, you know that something has really gone wrong. So I think that's that's where we are. It's it's just raw politics politics to the detriment of democracy. Politics to the detriment of their oath, oath of office, um, they are totally shameless. And again, if you just think of who Ted Cruz is um, and what Donald Trump said about his wife and his father during the, the campaign, and the fact that both he and Lindsey Graham is maybe even a, a better example or a worse example, um, there was during the, the 2020 campaign, a video of, uh, uh, Lindsey Graham speaking about um, uh, Joe Biden and saying, 
what a fine man Joe Biden is and that Joe Biden is, is the, the best person he's ever met in politics. For that person to embrace Donald Trump, um, someone who, while he was running against Donald Trump, called him a liar and, and worse, to now become his golf buddy. And then last night after the insurrection, all of a sudden they see the light. It's, it's, it's not only disingenuous, as Cassandra said, it's, it's insulting. And before I jump to you, Mr. Rockba, uh, you know, I'm reading uh, Bob Woodward's book, uh, Rage, which is the sequel to uh, the first book on the Trump presidency that he's that he has written, Fear. And in this book, uh, he conveys that during the during this past summer, when 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 the the, the, national, the guards were called in to, to to deploy tear gas on those who were in Lafayette Square in Washington, D.C., Lindsey Graham had expressed to Donald Trump that he didn't like that, uh, especially because he's a Christian and he thought that the Bible was being used for political purposes as a prop. And, you know, the same question I had when I looked at that section in the book is the question I have now. And that, you know, why is it that Lindsey Graham all of a sudden now can acknowledge the fact that it's undeniable that Biden and Harris have won the election? Um, why did it take why did it take this much? And so my question to these folks are uh, is, is why is it that this is the event? This is this is how far it had to go. Uh, before you could see the detrimental effects of Trump. Remember, since he came down the escalator on, on June 16, 2015, the first thing he did was demonize a, a sector of people, um, calling them rapists, uh, saying they're bringing drugs and crime. That wasn't enough for them. Then he insulted John McCain. Then he insulted a Gold Star family. Um, then he said he's going to impa- uh, impose a, a total and complete shutdown of all uh, Muslims entering the United States. Um, then he said s whole countries, then Charlottesville. All of these things, to me, uh, result in the natural culmination of what we saw yesterday. So to be honest with you, I wasn't really surprised. And it reminded me of the uh, during the civil rights movement when all of a sudden across America, uh, folks were seeing the, the, the evils of the Jim Crow South uh, when they can see it in their living room sets, uh, in their TV sets, uh, with the dogs attacking uh, peaceful protesters and hoses and, and, and all these things being deployed on them and the reaction, the universal reaction. Uh, Mr. Wongpa, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I think yesterday was one of the few times that we can look back in history and say it was surprising but not shocking or shocking but not surprising, right? We um, it, it was predictable, right? But we hoped that the the guardrails of society would stop it from becoming what it actually did, right? But I think the the vitriol in the crowd and and uh, the 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 angst that was in the crowd and the anxiety was was something that was predictable. But you know, we didn't think that you know security guards would open up the door and and smile as they walk by and take selfies and and. Uh, allow people to break windows and jump through them without being shot. I think those are things that we, we couldn't imagine um, would actually happen, you know? Um, but again, over the last four years, I think we keep seeing this, right? I think even in the the beginning of the coronavirus, it was this thing like, you know, surely the government, government won't let hundreds of thousands of people die. They'll do something to stop this. They'll do a, uh, I don't, I didn't know if we thought about quarantine, but we would stop somehow the virus from spreading. And again, we weren't surprised that, you know, we're, we're up over 300,000 people now who have lost their lives because of failures of government. So I think when we look back at this time, we're going to look back at people like Josh Hawley, who is very young. I think he was well positioned, to be honest with you, to be a, a prime candidate in 2024. I think he, he's, he just what turned 41 a week ago, two weeks ago, or um, Stanford or Harvard grad, undergrad, Yale Law School, even clerk for Justice Roberts. Um, you know, he, he's doing all sorts of things. I remember when he was running against Claire McCaskill, he was, you know, he was doing all sorts of things that she couldn't do, playing with guns and stuff like that. Um, I think we're now in a point where some people like that overplay their hands, like the good professor said, um, and have ruined promising um, political careers uh, in, in in pursuit of uh, appeasing um, Donald Trump. And, and before I bounce to you, uh, Professor Cook, you know, I was having this conversation with Cassandra really briefly before we went live, and the, the, the both of us, and you, Blake, you too, uh, you, you're currently on Capitol Hill. 
But when I was on Capitol Hill uh, interning in 2018, between the months of January and May, um, you know, they gave me a card, a security card, spe uh, specifically for uh, folks who are working in offices like the one I was working in. I was in the Senate Help Committee. Um, and there's a Senate train or, or a train in the Capitol Dome that leads from the Senate side to the House side. And that, to me, was the most secure location. Twice, um, I was turned away, even though I had a, an ID. Um, and I'm, I'm coming in a suit and a tie, sometimes an overcoat during the winter months, um, and, and a, a Senate binder with the Senate logo on it. Um, and I was turned back. But I'm seeing images yesterday of folks coming in with blue Trump flags, red hats, all kinds of you know folks coming in. Um, and it seemed like there was such a, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It was, it was, it was such a, uh, it was not aggressive at all to say the least um, in terms of how they were met. And I know that on the outside of the dome, um, there are steps, right? And so even sometimes, even if I were to step on one of the stairs just for a picture, the guard with a sniper would say, hey, you can't do that, right? Now, all of a sudden, it seemed as if the, the, the officers were powerless. Um, and this is raising alarm because I'm thinking in terms of the First Amendment freedom of assembly, there seems to be a, a, a freedom of assembly to an extent for folks who are engaged in protests like Black Lives Matter. I was in the Howard Human and Civil Rights Clinic, and we wrote an amicus brief to the Supreme Court on behalf of a gentleman, uh, D. Ray McKesson, um, who was charged in the Fifth Circuit uh, for something that he was even doing. He was, they, they said he was leading the Black Lives Matter protest. And because of his leadership, um, as a result of someone getting out of hand and throwing what they call a milkshake, um, which is, a, I think, a cement, a cement mixture uh, at a police officer and in causing injury to his face, he was charged now. Uh, and so if you can have a situation where someone like Mr. McKesson is charged with incit incitement to, to, to cause violence, um, why is it the president of the United States who had a December in December, he literally tweeted and said, it's going to be wild in D.C. We're going to see what's going to happen. Um, specifically, uh, Mr. Trump said on December 30th, uh, this is December 30th. He said, um, you know, see you in D.C. It's statistically impossible uh, to have lost the 2020 election. Um, he tweeted a big protest in D.C. on January 6th. Be there. Will be wild. Um, then on January the 6th, Trump says, we want to we want to be so respectful of everybody and we're going to have to fight much harder. And Mike Pence is going to have to come through for us. And if he doesn't, that will be a sad day for our country because you're going you're, you're sworn to uphold our Constitution. Um, he was calling the outcome of the election egregious, an egregious assault, assault on democracy. He said his supporters should walk down to the Capitol. Why is that not rising to the level of incitement? Um, and also, Professor, if you can touch on, you know, the the, the right to assembly and, and the, the way in which the First Amendment seems to have different meanings uh, for different groups. These are the same folks who are calling for law and order. Uh, these are the same folks who are saying that Black Lives Matter protesters were thugs um, and, and characterizing the entire movement based on a fringe group. And now I'm ironically seeing folks on my local news affiliate Facebook page saying, hey, you can't just the, the, the liberal media is focusing on the the far right folks and, and, and the people who are on front and the fringe, they were peaceful protesters yesterday. Uh, what are your thoughts, sir? Oh, <clears throat> okay, a lot of thoughts. I, I wanna be an honorary ambassador. I've been on here with all these Oakwood people and nobody's offered me an ambassador t-shirt. I mean, I need one because I'm, I'm feeling the, 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 the Oakwood thing. But beyond that, um, I think that today the office of the U.S. Attorney for the District of Columbia announced that they're investigating uh, incitement to riot charges against a whole range of people to include Donald John Trump. So, so clearly there is the potential for uh, a, a criminal charge of incitement to riot. To, to, to riot. Now, it's interesting you mentioned DeRay's case because DeRay's case is sort of uh, sent back to the trial court because the Court of Appeals determined that the government had not uh, created a, a, a sufficient basis to charge DeRay for uh, incitement to riot, given his conduct or not. Now, maybe they can do it, maybe they can't, but what they had done at that point did not rise to a level of, 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 of substantiating a charge. Question may be is, did what Mr. Trump say, was it sufficient? 
Now, unlike DeRay, there are, there are um, external or extrinsic facts that might tie Mr. Trump more, more closely to incitement to riot. Again, being a being an old city attorney here, you, you never really get away from it. So what we know is that on yesterday, uh, actually the day before yesterday, the mayor of the District of Columbia uh, attempted to um, activate uh, the entirety of the 1100 person National Guard force in the District of Columbia uh, to be on standby for what the city knew was going to be a, a large demonstration. And their intelligence told them that it was going to be, uh, it had the potential for violence. And this information was shared with all the federal police agencies. This was this was common information. This was not unique to the to the district government. The district government, unlike any, the district mayor, unlike any other governor of any other state in the United States, does not control the National Guard. It's controlled by the president of the United States. And so the, the mayor has to ask the president to activate the National Guard. The president only allowed a, a 120 or 210, the numbers switch in my head a little bit, to be used for traffic control, to control the box around which traffic was uh, prohibited and to keep cars out and like that. The Capitol Police have jurisdiction on the Capitol grounds. Metropolitan Police Department does not. There is a mutual aid agreement that allows the, 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 the Capitol Police to call on the Metropolitan Police to help them. They wouldn't do that. The, the Department of the Army, when the riot broke out, refused to allow the district's National Guard to be activated for, for use on the Capitol grounds. Throughout the whole incident, you never heard anything from the Department of Homeland Security. You never heard anything from the Department of Justice. You never heard anything from the Department of Defense. And that reason is because Donald John Trump wanted this to happen. And he had his people stand down so that it could get out of control. And, and it's pretty clear uh, about that. And, and the only reason the DC National Guard ultimately got activated was because Mike Pence calls them to be activated. And Mike Pence got them activated because his security detail, which was with him and Kamala Harris in the Capitol building, felt that there was an imminent threat of harm to the sitting vice president of the United States. And they got on the phone and got the Department of Defense to activate the National Guard because of the physical threat they thought there was to, to, to Mike Pence. But Donald Trump didn't do a dang thing except let this thing play out in this very ugly fashion. Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, dare I say it, white people generally don't care because, because again, the original sin of the United States slavery, white people have never dealt with it. And they continue to have these ups and downs of prof professing oh, this is horrible, we're going to do better, and they never do because they refuse to confront it. And white people are not going to confront this either. They're going to go through a, a drama, some theater for a couple days a week, and pretend that they care, but they don't. Josh Hawley is a fraud. Ted Cruz is a fraud. Josh Hawley pretends to be a populist. The man went to private school, went to Stanford, taught in England, went to Yale, and he's a populist. He is a fraud. What he is is just as 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 you said, Professor. He is trying to to, to ride on the the coattails of Donald Trump and these misfits and morons that are part of the Trump coalition. And he wants to get out front and take that 30, 40 percent of of people in the United States and be their leader, be the last man standing, the last guy off the boat with Donald Trump. So I'm the lineal descendant. But he has no belief in this. He knows better. He's way too intelligent, but he is an absolute hypocrite. And, and that's how this thing continues to live because these people are absolutely hypocritical. They'll say whatever they've got to say. They'll do whatever they want. They can do because all they want at the end of the day is power. All they want. They don't want power to do anything other than to have it. They have no agenda. They're not really trying to do anything except have power to keep you from getting it. When I say you, I mean, everybody on this call is the wrong color or the wrong gender to wield power, according to Josh Hawley. Michael, just let me say quickly that what uh, Dr. Cook just shared with us, beyond being profound, is important for America to know. And I'm talking specifically about the first part of what he was addressing, the specifics of how Donald Trump allowed this to happen, because I think all of us here have been on Capitol Hill 
And I've been there with appointments, you know, and still, and, and I've, I've been to the White House. It's harder to get in the floor of the Senate than it is in the Roosevelt Room in the White House. You have to go through more security to go to get in the, the gallery in the Senate than you have than, than you do to get in the Roosevelt Room in the West Wing. And that, that's a fact. And the, the, the facts that Dr. Cook laid out can explain to America how Donald Trump let this happen, allowed this to happen, positioned this to happen, because he was literally looking for an insurrection and worst case to look like they were aggrieved um, by the deep state um, who refused to hear his people. So uh, I think we're in a dangerous time, but America is um, has a PhD in fooling itself. I think, again, Dr. Cook is right. We've never faced the issue, even those who claim to be liberal or progressive uh, cannot face our history unblinkingly. Um, so it's, it's critical uh, because this is a moment where America can make some changes. Um, uh, as the, I'm paraphrasing, I'm saying that no good crisis should, should go to waste. And we should not waste this crisis, but we, we can quickly forget about what happened. Uh, even, even last night when Congress re reconvened, there were um, uh, senators from Kansas and other places basically saying, this is not America. And we know this is the recurring theme of America. Um, they want to go back to the American dream because it helps them feel uh, good about themselves and helps them feel righteous. Uh, the same people who took the, the land from the Native Americans, they, they have a need to feel righteous while they're um, uh, creating Holocaust. So um, um, I, I've been listening to NPR in the news all day, but what Fred Cook said here just five minutes ago was the most enlightening thing I heard about how the so-called security stood down yesterday. And I just want to add on to that with how the security, um, you know, stood down yesterday and, and even them being allowed to do it at a higher level. It really showed a lack of regard for people, especially public servants and, and people across the country, but just people in general. I think one thing that shocked me when when being there is, you know, when they said, OK, everyone, you know, vacate. So there were certain buildings that were vacated and they told everyone, you know, go find somewhere else. There were literally, you know, in the beginning, members of Congress who didn't have places to go, who were seeking shelter in other offices wow. um, that, that, were, that were scared. Then not only, but even once all that got situated with people finding places to go um, and they were taking the members to a secure location, one thing that really caught me off guard when walking my boss somewhere is there was uh, the um, part of the hallway, which actually, you know, if you take it down a little bit further, would lead to the Capitol. There weren't very many police. Um, maybe like 20 police throughout the hallway. But there were so many people that were workers, that were cafeteria workers, janitors, et cetera, that were just sitting out in the open at the Capitol. And it's like you had so few police to protect these people who were just exposed. And if anything, if people would have come and run in, those would have been the main people at risk who, who didn't have anywhere to go. Um, and so I think that's something that we that that just shocked me and kind of caught me off guard yesterday. It was just a lack of regard um, for so many just everyday people. And I think those are people that often, you know, when I'm hearing this a lot, you know, it's always like, oh, the members and their safety or even, you know, staffers or whatever. But um, I wanted to, you know, bring those people up as well because many people didn't even mention them and they were they were truly at risk. And also notable just quickly was that the press were being, the media were being attacked yesterday. Their, their equipment was being destroyed and the police were literally standing there 10 feet away doing nothing. And I just want to add in the same vein, you know, this is not just an ordinary day in which we're just, you know, we we can get to the notion that, well, this just happens to be one of those lax days on Capitol Hill. This was a time when you you had it with the exception of the Supreme Court, uh, both chambers of Congress and the executive was being represented through Mike Pence under the same roof. 
Um, during the State of the Union in 2018, my roommate and I at the time, who's been on the program before, Anthony Berry, uh, we were walking through because he had left his book at his office where he's working for Sheila Jackson Lee. And we had to go through so many layers of security out of the offices we had just came out of. Um, the first day I went there um, in January during the shutdown, the line out of the Senate Hart building going around Dirksen was go was so long. Um, and anyone who knows this, like it's the shape of a square. Um, it was wrapped around uh, because every single person had to go through intense screening before they stepped through the doors of the Capitol. Um, and so the notion that we can have uh, the executive branch, the legislative branch, both chambers, under the same roof, and this happens. Um, and for some reason, we have to attribute it to whatever, you know, just a lax day. It, it makes absolutely uh, no sense. Uh, but I want to jump a little bit further ahead and just put a plug in uh, because Giuliani had said something that, you know, had, I think, raised my eyebrows. Uh, he said the vice, uh, he said the violence at the Capitol was shameful. It was as criminal as the rioting and looting this summer, which was not, which was not condemned strongly enough by the left. This violence is condemned in the strongest terms. Our movement values respect for law and order and for the police. This echoes to me uh, what Trump had said on the debate stage when he was pressured by the moderator, fed words to say, and he didn't say it. And Biden egged him on to encourage him to, to, to denounce the Proud Boys. And what he did was he pivoted to Antifa and the left. Um, this is a reoccurring theme. And even um, Trump's enablers and his supporters who have taken to social media uh, and 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 they kind of, they don't even need Trump to give them the prompt anymore. They're making the stories on their own. Um, they're saying, well, um, it was actually Antifa that were putting on these, these garbs, I guess. these They decided to get Trump hats and Trump flags and storm the Capitol just to blame the Trump supporters. I mean, this thing is bizarre. And, and, and so this thing has long, long lasting consequences uh, that exceed Trump and his presidency. I don't think Trump will be president again. Um, but I think that the damage that he's done uh, is so consequential. Lindsey Graham's term from last night um, that we can't, you know, these four years are, will forever be, I think, solidified in history as the time in which truth uh, truly became relative. Um, really quick, though, Ted Cruz, before the chaos broke out, actually, you know, when they were actually debating on the Senate floor, said that in 1876, um, there was a precedent for what the 2020 election fraud that they're saying exists. During that election, Samuel Tilden and Rutherford B. Hayes, Samuel Tilden was a Democrat. He won the popular vote, but did, but did not win the Electoral College. Uh, Rutherford B. Hayes was a, the Republican. He won the Electoral College, but did not win the popular vote. And what that what happened was the Compromise of 1876, where Republicans and Democrats agree to let Rutherford B. Hayes become the president in exchange for Confederate soldiers being removed from the South completely. Um, he tried to make analogies between 2020 and that year, but it's different because in this case, Biden wins the popular vote and the Electoral College. Um, not only that, but Trump's, Trump's own appointed judges have said that the claims are not just frivolous. or they, There's actually no, no evidence at all to, 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 to support the finding that there's fraud. And in the transcript of these court documents, the lawyers for Trump's campaign can't even, they didn't even use the word fraud because they knew that that would be... Um, hyperbole. They knew that there was no basis for it. And they knew for some reason that their bar license would be on the line um, if they do that. Um, but, you know, this this whole thing is amazing. Um, Egu, I think you're about to jump in. Yeah, I, th I think, uh, and um, thanks for having me back. I should have said that earlier. Uh, last time Mr. Cook was on, he, you, you mentioned uh, talking about that the fact that they don't have any merit for some of these things that are going to come. So it's, it's amazing that here we are two months after an election, we're still talking about uh, 60 ca court cases that have gone the wrong way. We're still talking about um, whether the electoral college can go against the rule of the voters. I think yesterday was meant to be a distraction um, I think they thought there was a good chance that the Georgia elections could go that way, and they did. I think yesterday was meant to be uh, to put fear into people, into not uh, thinking that you know it's over um, because just because this man is is leaving office. I think um, there was a, the reality on the ground was that um, 
even events, if I look back to like a Benghazi, right? Think about what they said about Benghazi. The, the rumor that they created was that they said, stand down, that, uh, that they didn't get enough security on purpose, that they left their people behind. And then yesterday it was exactly that, right? Um, on purpose. So I, I think when we look to what we're going to talk about in the future, right, going forward, I don't see this being that 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 thing that ends in the 24-hour news cycle. I feel this time it's just as fresh today, all day, as it was yesterday. And we forgot about the phone call that we what we were talking about over the weekend with, with Trump saying that. We forgot about the election. All those other things got swallowed by the news cycle, but this is like a stain that I don't think is going to go away. And, you know, I'm glad you brought that out. Um, I want to pivot a little bit because uh, there's been talk of the 25th Amendment being evoked. Um, and all of a sudden now everyone's having a profile and courage moment. Um, president John F. Kennedy, um, you know, before he was a pres the president, he was the senator of Massachusetts, um, you know, used to contain a profile and courage uh, book. That's it. In which I, I'm holding that up because, because Ms. Knopf, and Mr. Taylor know what I mean when I do this. When he mentioned the Constitution, you know what I'm talking about. Exactly. And 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 what I'm saying is, you know, all of a sudden now, um, we're seeing uh, Elaine Chow jump ship. All of a sudden now, Bill Barr says that the president uh, betrayed his office. Uh, Mike Mike Pompeo, who has presidential ambitions of his own, uh, Secretary of State, says that the the rioters should be prosecuted. Um, Mitch McConnell is able to, to call this out. Uh, Mike Pence says the, the people, the, the, you know, we will continue the people's business uh, before they continue the session last night to, to certify the electoral count vote. But to me, the, the one person who should get the Profile and Courage Award is Mitt Romney. Um, I think he had a shining moment yesterday when he said, you know what, you, you, you really want to uh, defend the people and, and, and defend democracy? Tell them the truth. Stop giving them false hope. Stop feeding the beast. That is these conspiracies that Trump has created because you'll feed it now and it's not going to go away. And, you know, it's kind of it reminds me of when I was in uh, the Smoky Mountains a long time ago. There was a sign that said, don't feed the bears. Uh, and the gentleman who was in charge of the, 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 the ski lift said, you know, I see bears every day. And, you know, sometimes they scare folks because they decide to feed them. And when they run out of food, when they run out of resources, when they can't feed them anymore, the bears turn on them. And so my my thing is, why can't they see that they're feeding the bears, Ted Cruz and, and Josh Hawley in this situation? They're feeding them this false hope. They're feeding them this. Only The only result that can happen is that they're going to turn on them eventually. You know, um, And I said this in a past podcast, any, if, the 2024 midterm, um, if the 2024 primary is who can be the most Trumpy candidate, Trump will win that. Uh, Professor Cook? Yeah, well, I mean, the answer to your question is the reason they keep doing it is because they have not ever had to pay a price. They, they've always been able to get away to move to defer the sanction. And part of the, and part of the sanction is Georgia. Part of the sanction is if you continue to mistreat black people, brown people, poor people, and they organize themselves and vote you out of office, then where will you be? And this is this is a huge fear among many so-called conservatives, many. And I really you know, I'm reluctant to call them conservatives because I don't really have a problem conceptually with conservatism. But these people really aren't conservative. I mean, and, and really what they what they believe at their core is that they are members of a group that ought to have power. And if you aren't a member of that group, you don't have power. That's why your vote is illegitimate. It's not because you didn't play the game by the rules that existed. It's not because you got one more vote than they did according to majoritarian concepts. It's because your exercise of power in that regard is illegitimate in their mind because they're the only ones who should be in charge of anything. And so they've never really had to pay a price. Now, uh, biology is gonna cause them to confront a price down the road because they're going to be more black and brown people than white people in this country and they're not going to be able to forestall it forever but it's so 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 they keep having this dance because they don't pay a price for it but i want to talk about ted cruz when you talked about ted cruz and and and, and what he was saying you got to remember the tilden hayes compromise in addition to allowing the presidency to to, to, to happen 
what the real compromise was for the Southerners was they got control of their of their states back and they could abuse black people to a fairly well. And it led to a hundred years of black people being abused. And what Ted Cruz, because I'm a cynic, what Ted Cruz was really saying was, we can work out a compromise where we get to, con to, to reform, control, modify this voting thing so that you people who are not us will never have another president elected again in the, until the end of time. And that's really where he's going. He's, he's, he's trying to create some sort of uh, landmark compromise that will effectively disenfranchise the majority of American citizens and cede uh, control of the political apparatus to a relatively small minority of people in the United States. And, and that's, that's his grand scheme because he is such a sick and twisted human being. And so I wanna ask this real quick, you know, the constitution does provide that with the two thirds vote, a Senator can be expelled. Um, and I haven't really heard much of this. I've heard about the 25th amendment on the, on the airwaves these past 24 hours. I did not hear much about expulsion of Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, uh, but I think it should be on the table. I wanna get your thoughts on expulsion, whether this, you know, the, the Democrats now have the trifecta, they have the executive uh, branch, they have the legislative branch. Um, they don't have the Supreme Court, so they don't have the complete trifecta. But, you know, should this be um, should this be um, on the agenda, uh, expelling expelling these two individuals um, and not just expelling them for spite, but expelling them because of the dire consequences of letting them go? Like you had said, Professor Cook, not letting them to feel the consequences. And I know, Professor Cook, um, you know, you were on the panel and you had said that uh, Trump's uh, folks should not be prosecuted. No, no, have, Trump shouldn't be prosecuted. Trump shouldn't be prosecuted. But I've um, had an epiphany. I want to get your thoughts on, 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 the, on the expulsion issue, Trump being prosecuted, um, and, you know, just go. <laughs> no, well, I mean, expulsion or no is, is a function of the rules of the Senate and the rules of the House of Representatives. So, so you and me and the people of whatever state can elect people, but whether they get to sit in the Senate or the House is a function of the rules of the House and the Senate, and they can be expelled. The, the, the so-called Democrats have control of the House, uh, of the Senate and the House, and they can create rules with the uh, famous alumni of Howard University, Kamala Harris, casting the deciding vote. They can change the rules of the, of the Senate to allow those men to be those men to be expelled. And they ought to be expelled. I, I, I believe that there has to be a price to pay. I think that these people cannot be allowed to continue to behave this way without without a cost. Now, the people who elected Josh Hawley are going to send him back. I, mean, I don't have I have little doubt about that. But I don't think it is a fool's errand to expel them. The, the 25th Amendment is 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 uh, a little different uh, because you're going to need uh, a majority of the uh, uh, what, what, what's called in the Constitution, the, 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 the principal officers uh, of the government that that's the that's the 15 cabinet members and the um vice president so so uh eight of the 15 plus the vice president is nine nine of them need to, to, to vote to to have the, the 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 president declared unfit to serve and the president gets you know 48 hours to say no i'm i'm fit and then the other side gets to say yeah you are unfit and then the congress has 21 days to figure out what to do so, so it's it's technically possible to put Mr. Trump in a box where he's no longer president for most of the next 13 days. Maybe that's important. Maybe it's not. Um, I think he has to be immobilized. I, I, I think I think, you know, earlier I, I said I thought that for the good of the country kind of concept. Uh, trying Donald Trump after he was out of the White House was probably a bad idea. I don't believe that anymore. I think he has gone to such an extent here with this latest thing that he has to be sanctioned. And I believe there's an excellent argument. He's used the argument, he and his cronies, the, 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 the Office of Legal Counsel opinion from 1970, whatever it is, that says a president, sitting president can't be tried. He must be impeached. What they don't talk about is that same memo says that a sitting, that, that, that a president cannot pardon himself. And that was because they didn't want Richard Nixon to pardon himself. That's why he had to resign. And that's why Gerald Ford had to pardon him. Otherwise, he would have pardoned himself. But the also legal counsel opinion said the, says a president cannot pardon himself. 
So this whole idea that Donald Trump is going to walk out the door 15 seconds after he pardons himself, I think is is open is an open legal question. And I would I would if I were uh, the next attorney general, I would do whatever we got to do to get him charged up and make him and the Supreme Court of the United States say that he could not pardon himself. Because I, I would not let him walk go away unscathed, because this is so horrible what he's done to democracy, to the republic, and you know I, that that sounds kind of Pollyannish, but 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 he cannot be allowed to walk away from this. It, it, it's not just a question of a bad telephone conversation, his his so-called perfect conversation about uh, uh, you know uh, he, he's got to he, he has he has subverted democracy, has committed sedition. He needs to be punished. And Professor Foster, I think you're about to jump in, but real quick, um, you know, I'm glad you brought that up about because it has, it has been reported in the past within recent hours that President Trump is mulling, giving himself a self-pardon. Um, this, of course, you know, comes as no surprise because we heard, you know, it being thrown around by his advisors and his people and his in his orbit that this was something he was going to do, not just for himself, but for his children. Um, to the point where, you know, folks say, well, what are you going to do in 13 days? Um, because Pelosi is pressuring Pence and saying, look, if you're not going to move, I'm going to move um, on this thing. Um, so, you know, it's either your, de- it's your decision. Do you want to evoke the 25th Amendment or do you want me to go ahead with impeachment? Um, you know, a lot can happen in 13 days. The Cuban Missile Crisis unfolded in the period of 13 days. Professor Foster. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot there. Um, I do. I, w- I would like to see Donald Trump. Uh, not punished, but held to justice, uh, to be held accountable. Uh, punishment to me kind of implies that um, you did something we don't approve of. Donald Trump broke the law. Donald Trump has sold us out to Russia. You know, we're not even talking about the, the data breach uh, that's been going on for the last six months in our key government and corporate accounts. Uh, which is an unbelievable treasure trove of, of information. But uh, there is but so much political capital out there. And I, I wouldn't want the pursuit of Josh Hawley uh, and Ted Cruz to distract from uh, the need for Americans to get help during this pandemic. I'm talking about financial help. I'm talking about loan forgiveness. I'm talking about those types of things, healthcare, voting rights. I think if we're going to expend our political capital and leverage um, the wrongs that have been done here, I think we should leverage them for long-term political gain, starting um, with voting rights and starting with um, helping Americans with their healthcare. Um, It's strange, but um, we're four years, a full four years into Donald Trump and Obamacare still exists, okay? And and that's not by mistake. It exists because people like it. The reason they tried so hard to lay across the railroad tracks to stop it is they knew like social security, once they start getting it, it'll be hard to take it away because they like it. Um, And uh, so I think that that Joe Biden should walk in the door uh, and pretend that it's 1933 and do as Franklin Roosevelt did, and let, let's get as much as we can for the American people as quickly as we can. Um, these other things, see, Josh, pursuing Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, that could boomerang and make them victims to their, to their base and do nothing for working class American people. Uh, Joe Biden was elected in part because he has some appeal to working class white people. And so there's an opportunity because working class white people are hurting right now. They're, they're the, the, uh, the people who are suffering from COVID. A lot of the people who were outside the Capitol yesterday will be in the hospital a month from now looking for health care. Um, so I think that's where we should focus our energy um, uh, and our political capital. Not that we shouldn't hold them accountable, but I think that that's a legal issue, not a political issue. And I'm glad you brought that up, um, you know, as we're wrapping up real quick, because, you know, usually remember what happened in 2008. Um, that was also a Democratic sweep 
Um, it wasn't as big as in terms of you know the coattails um, as what we experienced in 2020. But the Democrats had the Senate, um, they had the House, and now we had a new president. Um, and so what what happened in 2010? The Tea Party movement. We saw a rise of gerrymandering and and all kinds of different tactics, voter ID laws imposed to make it more difficult to vote. And so the next thing to me and to your point, Professor, has to be a focus on voting rights. Um, you know, President Obama in his eulogy of John Lewis this past summer said we should have the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Um, I think that's uh, crucial in addition to the COVID relief. You know, I know the $2,000 stimulus checks will be coming soon now that the Democrats have all chambers of Congress, both chambers, chambers of Congress. Um, but I want to get your thoughts, uh, Cassandra. Blake, uh, Egu, um, you know, what do you think the next priorities, the, the, the first priorities of this new administration should be, um, being that the the whole landscape has changed with Warnock and Ossoff winning their respective Senate seats? Well, <laughs> there's so many to choose from now since we're in multiple crises. Um, but I, I agree that one of the first ones we have to address is voting rights. We need to make sure that people are automatically registered. There's no more of this nonsense with people being deregistered for no reason. We need to make sure that there's ample opportunity for people to vote. Um, so we can't have just one ballot box per county like this last time. We watched with, I don't remember, you know, we, so much has happened since, but leading up to November, I would wake up and immediately have to go to the bathroom and throw up because of the anxiety, because I was like, I know what the mood of this country is, but I also see the work that is being actively done to disenfranchise voters. So we might not get who we want after all of this, you know? So, um, and that was a very, it wasn't close. It, it ended up not being close, but it was scary for a moment there. Um, so we need that to be a main focus. Um, Equally or more important, depending on things, we need to universalize healthcare. We're in the middle of a global pandemic that was ruefully negligently handled, and now we're dealing with the consequences of that. We're almost reaching 400,000 deaths, and you know, it doesn't seem to be stopping, it's escalating. Um, the movement that we saw yesterday and ones that are at, at state capitals across the country are going to inevitably lead to higher hospitalization rates in the next few weeks. Um, <laughs> so there's there's many, many ones to address, but I think those are the two main ones. Um, and then, of course, my personal one is I need to see repercussions for the actions of some of these politicians who just thought that they could juggle falsehoods to make themselves look better in a certain light. And I think, honestly, this is the first time that they saw there were going to be real consequences. And it is a little bit bizarre to me that it was white supremacists. They don't have the most to be mad about in this country, to be quite honest. Um, but it was them. It was them who brought the violence and the retribution to the Capitol. Not BLM, not Antifa, which, by the way, is not a real organization. It's just people who are against fascism. Um, so <laughs> it, it's, it blows my mind. Like, they did see repercussions for their actions, but it was the, it was the hand, the, the animal biting the hand that fed them. It wasn't the people that they've been wronging for years and years and years. So um, we need as a country to definitively say that that was a line that got crossed and that was wrong and these are the consequences for your actions. But I mean, all three of those are massive things that need to be addressed and they need to be addressed expeditiously. Otherwise more people are going to die. Right. And also um, piggybacking off of what she said, first thing, um, the voting rights was something that I, I was thinking off of my head, too. Um, and I think that's extremely important. And we saw the repercussions of, you know, what where, where that can be an issue in, with what happened the past couple of days. Um, another thing is, I also think that we should still keep um, police reform and, and national, um, you know, creating more of a national standard at mine. It wasn't too long ago when, um, you know, we just saw Casey Goodson was was killed by police as well. So I feel as though that's something um, that should still be very present and, and, and it needs to be addressed immediately. And then another thing is also economic relief um, with everything that's going on during the COVID crisis. Um, I think, yes, stimulus checks, you know, those are great too. But what about actually repairing a lot of these small businesses that um, you know, just can't sustain themselves or even, you know, um, 
even if you do two thousand dollars stimulus checks or, or whatever, um, also helping people just in general with with the resources to get their lives back on track who have been impacted by this. And I think, you know, there are some people that, you know, they do, um, you know, people are struggling, they're on unemployment and things like that. But also considering what about people that um, have are that are beauticians and things like that, like their service has gone down, but they're still technically like employed. Um, so I think just factoring in all of those people. And I think there's so many people that are just hurting right now. Um, and it's really important that we get them the help that they need to, to kind of get our country um, on the right track, or at least moving somewhere in the right direction. My, my, uh, my advice to um, the Biden people uh, is, it's pretty simple. I would um, make some legislation that particularly affects black people. Uh, I think black people um, in this race, especially in 2020 um, and in even this year, if you look a few days ago, have really organized and come together and seen the power of community and the power of the vote and for the benefit of Joe Biden and the Democrats to a, an extent where you, you had these really razor thin elections um, in some of these states and the tide was turned by you know, influential black people really stepping up and organizing um, the black vote. So I would like to see not only the reparations, um, um, uh, I think they were gonna put together a commission to study it, but really thinking about the systemic and historical inequalities that have been created by the government and actually, you know, recognizing it, acknowledging it and moving forward um, some equitable solutions. So, I, I mean, the other stuff, I, I agree. I think the pandemic obviously is the first on our minds. The, the effect that we're going to deal with financially, I, actually, as a CPA, I would like to see even the inequalities that were created by the last tax law. I'd like to see that re, it, uh, revisited because it started kind of an exodus out of the Northeast um, heavy tax states. Um, so stuff like that I would like to see. But first and foremost, I would like to see that emphasis on um, the black community. And to your, to Blake and Egg's uh, point, um, you know, the officer, the officers that were involved in the shooting of Jacob Blake, it was announced this week that they're they're going to face no charges. Um, it was said that it is the, the, the spokesperson of the police department said it is my decision now that no Kenosha law enforcement officer will be charged with any criminal offense based on the facts and laws. Um, he said that Tuesday. So, you know, to your point, you know, there is an emergency and Stacey Abrams, as you had mentioned, you know, prominent leaders who were involved in whipping out a uh, turnout, um, you know, would want to see these kinds of laws enacted. I think it's in the best interest of the party going forth in 22 and 24. Um, but someone had asked before I conclude the, 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 the broadcast, you know, they, they had mentioned that a Trump supporter was interviewed according to what they've seen um, and said that next time they'll be back with rifles. Um, should there be a military uh, should should there be more military pr uh, presence um, with entry at the entry checkpoints uh, around Washington D.C. Um, in light of the upcoming inauguration and and you know how do we have a peaceful inauguration or a peaceful transition of power um, over the next thirteen days? You know, having having uh, been in government uh, during uh, the period of an inauguration. Um, there is a very heightened level of security around an inauguration. Um, and there are military checkpoints coming into the District of Columbia for every inauguration. Um, uh, you know, on Pennsylvania Avenue, where the president typically motorcades from the Capitol building back to the White House and sometimes walks, uh, the District of Columbia Department of Public Works, or whatever they call it at the time, uh, well shut manhole covers so people cannot get into the tunnels under the street and pop up and cause hot havoc it becomes very very oppressively security focused um and i think for this one it's going to have to be that uh, because these crazies have demonstrated what they are willing to do and you know being a frustrated athlete on the basketball court sometimes people do stuff that you go, I never knew anybody could do that. And then you want to try to do it. Well, this attack yesterday has opened the eyes of terrorists, legitimate 
international foreign terrorist groups as to what is possible. These guys, because of the security at the, at the Capitol was so lax, there could be several hundred members of Congress dead now. Uh, but for the, you know, but for God, that didn't happen. But some real serious focused terrorists can see that as a blueprint to do something similar. And, and as a security professional, which I happen not to be, I think you'd have to be concerned for a thing like the inauguration. Now, the good news about this inauguration, because of COVID and social distancing, you won't have the huge crowds. You'll have some, but this is a this is this is a this has huge potential for for disaster. So I think there's going to be a lot of security, and 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 rightfully so. Any other thoughts? Well, if not. Uh, I just want to thank each of you, Cassandra Knopf, uh, Blake Bibbs, Egwin Nuangpa, Professor Fred Cook, and Professor Preston Foster for each of you and for each of your invaluable insight uh, to what you brought to the table. Um, I think that uh, you know I had the perfect platform for a time like this, to be honest with you. Um, but you know, when I'm looking at these events, um, I'm reminded of something a professor of mine said, Professor Harold McDougall of Howard University School of Law, before the 2019, I mean the 2020 primaries even happened. Um, when I, I was in his class uh, in 2019, and he said, this is going to be a very violent election. And all throughout this campaign, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about it when uh, Gretchen Whitmer um, was, you know, there was almost an attempted coup of, of the Michigan state government. Um, you know, so easy to forget in light of the huge news that just seems to follow or perceive the, the other. Um, you know, I, I thought about it in terms of what happened in terms, you know, in, in, outside of voting uh, locations where votes were being counted, uh, Trump supporters trying to storm inside in, in Arizona. Um, and now, you know, the, the natural culmination is this. So my question is, did we really expect anything different uh, from what the, the, the very fine people on both sides presidency? Uh, this was someone that David Duke was so comfortable to publicly endorse. And Trump took a long time before he says, I denounce him. And when he did, he said, I denounce him. Okay. Are you happy now? Um, this is who we have as a president right now. And I think the country basically is in a mode where we don't really have a president right now. Uh, we're waiting for one on 13 days, but we don't have one. Um, and, and someone had asked a question, um, you know, is this just an anomaly of history or will we see another Trump or will we see another situation where um, someone is really appealing to the lower base passions of people? My thing is, it's kind of like when you buy an exotic uh, carnivorous animal. Um, once that animal or that pet gets a taste of blood, in my view, it doesn't want to go back. Um, and I think that in this situation, blood was tasted. Um, you know, legitimacy was given to um, the far right, to white supremacy, um, to all of these uh, movements. And I don't think they'll ever be satisfied not having that leg legitimacy uh, for years to come. I think um, that's something we have to combat. Uh, we do it by voting. We do it by getting involved. We, we do it by staying informed and staying away from uh, faulty media sources. Um, and so I just want to thank you each for, you know, the very first episode of The Political Mic for the year 2021. I would like to encourage those who are watching uh, to stay tuned. Next week, I'll be um, having a special guest, uh, Mr. Jeff Greenfield, a former um, commentator on ABC, C CNN, um, and CBS News. He's also the author of the book, Had Ken If Kennedy Had Lived, um, and many other books, but I'm very interested in that one in particular. Uh, he'll be joining me next Wednesday, uh, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, I encourage you to stay tuned and look out for that. Uh, with that being said, I want to thank you each one more time. Um, stay safe. Um, good luck. Um, and thank you for tuning in to episode 24 of the Political Mic broadcast. <laughs>